0: That's right. Get 55% off at babble.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: Hello, baby. Welcome to the Smart People Podcast. Sit back, grab a drink, tune in your brain. Ask not what your country can do for you.
2: This nation will rise
1: up. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another insightful edition of Smart People Podcast. This is Chris Stemp. And this is John Rojas. Today, we're going to take all of you guys along on a little journey of happiness, as I'm going to call it. And this is happiness without the use of drugs and alcohol. <laughs> was that, how do you feel about that, Rich? I don't know. It just, it just came to me. I was feeling like one of those things. We promise we are not at the Betty Ford Clinic. Anyways, now after today's podcast, you might not be happier, but it just gives you a little more insight. We interview one of the happiness gurus, Gretchen Rubin, Gretchen is, among other things, she's an author with a best-selling book, The Happiness Project. It was a New York New York Times bestseller, what, like uh, year, last year, Roach? Yeah, back in 2010. Yeah, she's also, she graduated from Yale, her undergrad, and she has her law degree from there. She was editor-in-chief of the Yale Law Journal. She clerked for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. And that's when she said, you know what, I want to be a writer. So we have her on the show, and we kind of pick her brain about what she did for the Happiness Project, where it came from, and the whole goal behind it. Roach, this was kind of your finding, so I was I was wondering, you know, after speaking with her and after learning more, I really liked it. But where did you find this, or you know, what was the reasoning you wanted to speak with Gretchen? I,
0: I mean, I can't take full responsibility for it. I actually saw one of her videos posted on Facebook talking about creativity and telling people to be creative every single day. And then one of our good friends was actually reading the book when I was in Honduras and she seemed to enjoy it. So, you know, figured why not reach out to her, see if she would talk to us. And lo and behold, she did. And, uh, I think it was a pretty good interview. For those of you that don't know, she basically decided
1: for a year, she was going to try all these different things about how to be happy. Everything from singing every morning to. My personal favorite, actually, is um, keeping a one-sentence journal. And we go into that in the interview, but just to give you an idea, and it's something that I find interesting. I think we've talked about on the show before, but I've looked into the psychology of it all, and you never know. It borders on self-help, I think, which I can always be a little skeptical of, and you don't know what's going to work for you. But these kind of things, you hear about them, you try them. It's not going to hurt,
0: at least, right? Right, and I mean, she even— prefaces that uh by saying that this isn't really a self-help book but more of a book about her story on her path to happiness well she says self-help what
1: did uh, i just throw a p in there you said yeah you switched yeah. the to... yeah she says self-helpful which sounds interesting i'm sure she's used that one before and she was she was awesome she was super cool was. really nice to talk to really interesting well-spoken I guess you go to Yale and you pick up some things along the way, but I don't know. I just feel like our guests. I say it every week. I'm like, oh, this one's great, but it's just been so much fun talking to a lot of these people, just learning different things. So
0: I, don't I know I completely uh. agree, and I'm actually blown away by the willingness of these people to take time out of their schedule just to talk to us. I mean, we're not, you know, a huge radio program or anything like that. But they take the time, sit on the phone with us for 30, 35 minutes and seem to enjoy the conversations. And I know we enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And
1: also, actually, while we're on the topic of other people we interview, one of the recent guests we had on, Bill Poundstone, he was recommended to us by a listener and he ended up being, as I mentioned, one of my favorites. And I'm really appreciative of that. So I just wanted to say again, if you have people that you would like us to reach out to. Again, you know, the chances of us being able to get in contact with them, set up a time, interview them, it's, it's not always a win. But it's, it's kind of tough for us sometimes to find all these amazing people. And we're just as interested. If you guys have somebody you follow or you like, just shoot us the name and, and we'll do the work and then you'll get a you know an interview out of it. So you can contact us at our website, smartpeoplepodcast.com. There's a contact us thing, or you can just email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you think of the podcast. Give us some some feedback. Somebody today emailed and said, hey, you know, haven't heard from you guys this week. I, I usually download it by now. It was just nice. She was like, is everything okay? When's the next episode coming out? So it's good to hear from you guys. While you're at the website, make sure you use our Amazon widget. Recently I was talking to a friend of ours, Rog, I was talking to Matthew. He was like, Oh, dude, I just spent six hundred dollars on Amazon and I forgot to use your link. And I really wasn't Who was too this? Happy
0: with him. it was it was Matt it was Matt. The only Matt we know? Oh, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And he should probably return his stuff. I know. And then repurchase it using our link. Yeah. That's unacceptable. I've actually got a pretty funny story about it too. My dad called me the other day, left me a message, and said, Hey you know, I don't know if this is because I'm an old man or what, but I'm trying to order some stuff through Amazon and I clicked on your link and it's asking me to be an associate. And I was, you know, I was sitting there, I was like, what are you talking about? I don't right. know if there was an issue with Amazon that day. Um, and I was like, oh, well, you know, thanks for letting me know and I'll figure it out and you can place the order. And he's, oh yeah, it's only for 12 bucks. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my goodness. Hey, but man every little penny counts so I was gonna say I, I out, of yeah. out of that twelve dollars out
1: of that twelve dollars we get like you know 50 cents I was gonna so, say 50 60 cents yeah so just a couple billion of those and uh we can concentrate solely on this podcast
0: that would be awesome so talk about our happiness project yeah, yeah I don't have much else I don't have that much else either just you know what you said follow us on Facebook and on Twitter uh, I love seeing people comment back and forth on the facebook page it was actually pretty cool for the bill poundstone interview the guy that had suggested it to us really enjoyed the interview and let us know and that's that's just always awesome to see
1: yeah so without further ado here is gretchen rubin with the happiness project I actually wanted to ask this introductory question because I wasn't familiar with the book, The Happiness Project, until recently when John said, hey, I have somebody I want to talk to for the podcast. So I started looking into it just a few days ago, and I really just the idea of it, I find fascinating because of the idea is very similar to what I've been doing for about the past year and a half. So I wanted to just ask you in your own words, could you tell us? Exactly, what the happiness project is, just kind of an overview of of what it is and how you came up with it.
2: Um, Well, I came up with the idea for a happiness project at a very inconspicuous moment in my life. I was stuck on a city bus in the pouring rain, and I had one of those rare opportunities for reflection. um, And I thought, what do I want from life anyway? And I thought, I want to be happy. But I realized I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy or how I could be happier. In an instant, I thought, I should have a happiness project, and it was this huge uh, idea that filled my mind. I ran out the next day to the library and got a huge stack of books about happiness and started my research, and what I decided to do was, in the end, it it took me a while to map out the whole thing, but um, from the very beginning, I knew that I would have resolutions and charts and themes, Um, and what I ended up doing was I decided I would spend a year test driving, the wisdom of the ages, the current scientific studies, and the lessons from popular culture about how to be happier. So 12 months gave me 12 themes, and for every theme, whether it was work, marriage, friendship, uh, energy, I, I gave myself three or four very manageable, concrete resolutions aimed at making change that I thought would make me happier. And so one, you know, one of the questions was, well... I would pick this resolution or that resolution because I'd read this science or this philosopher and how would it really work out. And I also wanted to do things within my normal routine because I love reading about people's radical happiness projects like Thoreau moving to Walden Pond. Um, but I have two little kids, my job, my responsibilities, my husband. Um, you know, I can barely get away for the weekend. So I was, I wanted to do things just within my ordinary routine. It didn't take any m- much time, energy, or money. There were just things that I could do as part of my ordinary day, and so that's how I had the idea for the Happiness Project.
1: I had a similar experience, and it was a, a, in a similarly boring moment where I was <laughs> just like, you know, life is good. I mean, in comparison to you know, most standards of the world, I have nothing to complain about, but things just seemed a little dull. In that time, I spent a lot of time reading philosophy, psychology. I really looked in a lot to um you know Martin Seligman and uh yep. and I can never pronounce his name but chick Mihai the guy that talks about flow Yeah
2: Mihai Chick Mihai? Yes, yeah. I practiced that many times.
1: And I guess I wanted to know do you incorporate a lot of that new age kind of philosophy and psychology into your book and and kind of how did you research that what did you come up with regarding these new you know the the science of being happy?
2: Yeah, well, I think that maybe the term new age is, is maybe what you mean really is like positive psychology, sort of the new research around happiness.
1: No, that's um, that's exactly it. I actually yeah. thought about going, applying to the um, school at, at Penn State to yeah. try and take that class. So, yeah, exactly yeah.
2: that. Yeah, no, I looked at a lot of it, um, and I found it very, very interesting. Um, there's a lot of – in the last, you know, 20 years or so, there's been a huge um, academic – interest in happiness. And so there's all sorts of new studies and, and not only just sort of um from psychology but also in economists and sociologists all looking at the questions um you know although a lot of times they don't use the word happiness which is a little unscientific so they use words like subjective well being or positive affect um, less uh less poetic terms. Um and no so I was very interested in re- in in uh in researching all that and seeing um, what their their findings are. For example, one of the things that the science kept saying was that novelty and challenge make people happier. And I just didn't think that was true for me. I I don't like to travel. I eat the same food every day. I rarely leave my neighborhood. I love to do the same thing all the time. So I thought, well, for me, familiarity and mastery bring happiness. But the science kept saying, oh, novelty and challenge bring happiness. And that's why I started my blog, was because I needed to do something novel and challenging. And when I started it, I was incredibly intimidated. It was like nothing that I had ever done before. But I wanted to test it because of the whole idea of my book was that I was going to test up these ideas. And I was actually 100% wrong. And I completely changed my views. And I was absolutely convinced by the science, when I applied it to my own experience, that indeed, Novelty and challenge do make people happier. So that was an example where there was a finding, a scientific finding, and when I put it to the test, I really found that it was borne out by my own experience. So I was very, very interested in the science. I still am very interested in the science.
0: How would you define your book, The Happiness Project? Would you say it's a, a self-help book, an account into what made you happy, or something you know completely different than what I just described there?
2: I would describe it as self-helpful. You know, it's an, it's it's the account of my happiness project. The only person I'm, being, I'm prescribing to is myself. Um, but I think a lot of people do derive from it ideas from the things that they would try for their own happiness projects. And it, it's a memoir in that it's the account of the year, but it's not, it's not a full account of everything, of, of my life during that year. It's really just the account of what I was doing as part of my happiness project. So it's a very limited kind of account of what happened during that year.
0: And I know this is going to be a really hard uh, question to answer, but do you think people can truly become happy? Um, and if so, you know, what improvements did you see in your life after completing your own happiness project?
2: Well, I think one thing that makes it easier to tackle that question is instead of thinking about being being happy or achieving happiness, to think about being happier. Because whenever you say happier happiness, people think that there's like a magical destination. There's like a finish line that they need to cross. And then once they get over there, life is going to be very different. They need to get there. And what would that be like? And then how would they stay there 24 seven? And would that mean that you're 10 on the one to 10 scale or whatever? And people get very distracted about whether is that possible. Is happiness even real? Is it possible to be happy? And so I think it's much, I found that people respond. They're much more willing to think about a happiness project. When you talk about being happier, um, and say, like, well, today, next month, next year, are there things that you could do to be happier? And I also think it's helpful because at sometimes in our lives it's not possible to be happy um, because situations are such that it's just an unhappy time. And so maybe it's not possible to be happy at that time, but it's is it possible to be happier? Are there things that you could do that would help you feel as happy as you can be given the circumstances, which I, bet, I think actually helps you because – if you're as happy as you can be, then you, then you help give yourself the emotional energy and the reserves that you need to to, to meet a, a challenging time. So I think for most people, instead of like worrying about are they going to achieve happiness, is just say, like, okay, well, w- can you be happier? And also because, you know, people, about 50% of happiness is genetically determined. And about 10 to 20% of it is all like circumstances, which is things like age, education, income, marital status, health, things like that. So a big percentage of it Is really not within our control, and that's just a fact. On the other hand, a very big percentage of it is within our control, within our things that we can, you know, our happiness level that we can affect with the way that we act and the things and the way that we feel and think. And so, instead of worrying like, well, can everybody get to a ten? Just to say like, well, just given who you are and where you are in your life right now, can you, you know, can you push yourself up to the top part of your range? Instead of pressing yourself down to the bottom part of your range, um, with the way that you think and the and the things that you and the way that you behave, um, so so that's how I try to think about it. More like how you're going to be within your natural range, rather than trying to get everybody sort of to the same level.
1: Now, can you give examples of what you did to kind of give us a concrete idea of the things you would do during this happiness project, and then? Kind of even more importantly, what do you feel like actually worked, actually changed your happiness? And then what did you expect might change you, but it didn't? Kind of what flopped?
2: Um, well, I tried a ton of different things, and most of them worked because I picked things that I was inclined to think would work. Um, and so, so for example, I started with energy, with the theme of energy, because I figured, well, if I had energy, everything else would be easier. It's not that energy is the most important, but I figured it would, it would sort of help me with other things down the road. So, for that one, like I worked on getting enough sleep, which is hugely important to happiness and health and energy. It's super important to get enough sleep. It sounds so easy. It sounds so basic, and yet, like I think it's so important. One of the things that I did, um, and funnily enough. Of all the resolutions that I mentioned, this is the what resolution that is most often mentioned to me by other people as something that they tried and that helped them be happier. And again, it sounds so trivial. Make your bed. For some reason, this really helps people. I did imitate a spiritual master, which was one of my favorite resolutions. You have to identify your spiritual master and then think of how you would imitate that person in your own life. So my spiritual master is St. Therese of Lisieux. So I'm practically a Saint-Therese of Lisieux expert at this point and try to imitate her as much as I can. Um, I keep a one sentence journal. Um, one of my one of the things that I seems that I repeat to myself is that the days are long but the years are short. And by keeping a one sentence journal, I was able to keep a journal in a way that was manageable. Cause I knew I couldn't keep a, like a regular journal, but I one sentence, that. I can do. <laughs> I yeah. love that.
1: Cause I have yeah. tried, I probably have 10 journals with one page filled in.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is like, you got to keep lower your, lower the bar, you know, that's <laughs> yes. one of my big themes, lower the bar, whatever it is, lower the bar. Um, so it's like one sentence I can do. So, and it turns out that one sentence is enough. Like I look back at it now, I've kept it, you know, five or six years. I look back on it and it just brings back memories so vividly. Um so that that's a great resolution. Um sing in the morning is a great one because mornings if you have little kids can be a very difficult times. So by singing I helped keep myself feeling calm and cheerful and energized. Um and going to sleep earlier helps too. Um so I had, you know, many, many resolutions that I tried. Um I think the resolution that worked The least well is I tried laughter yoga, which many people swear by, like millions of people all over the world do it. And I I said I would try it three times before I decided if it worked for me, but I was so miserably (laughs) self-conscious that I only went one time. And then I was like, you know what? This is never going to make me happy. No way. So I gave that up. So that was a total thought for me, though others like it. I also tried hypnosis because I thought, oh, this will be like a passive shortcut. No, it didn't work. Um, It was really about like, mindfulness training, which is very arduous, which I'm like, okay, fine. I'll do mindfulness training, but the hypnosis part of it didn't do anything for me. And um, a gratitude journal, you know, this is like in the top things that people recommend that people should do to be happy. And I just, it just bugged me. I did not like keeping a gratitude journal. And I've since read study saying you shouldn't keep a gratitude journal every day. It's better to just do it like twice a week. Um, that it's more effective, so maybe that would have been better, but by the time I read that, I had already sort of gone cold on the idea of a gratitude journal. So I think gratitude is very important, and I have other gratitude strategies that I follow, but the actual gratitude journal, which is one of the most often given pieces of advice uh, in my experience in the happiness field, um, did not work for me. So those were some things that did not work.
0: I wanted to see how much of your happiness actually focused around creativity because you brought up the one cent one sentence journal um, and also making the bed and I don't know why but that just stuck with me so much that when when I make my bed and I feel like I'm in a clean organized environment I'm able to do more creative things I don't know if it's just you know the, the catalyst that actually gets me thinking not having to worry about having to clean up things but one of the one of the videos that I came across on Facebook was you talking about being creative every day and not to wait for creativity to hit. Did you find that you being creative led to, to more happiness through this, through this project?
2: Absolutely. And what I think is true also about creativity is like, not only do you have to do it all the time, but the more you do what you actually feel like doing and the more closely you're in line with your own interests, the more creative you can be. So, so, you know, a huge thing that I worked, about, worked on in my happiness project was to be Gretchen and to really make sure that my life, as closely as I could make it, reflected my nature, my interests, my values, and, and things that did not reflect those things should fall away. And through the exercises of the happiness project, my life did come more into line with my interests, temperament, and values. I felt myself becoming more creative because the thing is it's like when what you're doing is very natural to you, you have more energy, you're more engaged, you have more ideas, like you're more enthusiastic. And I feel like I just went from like a drinking straw to a fire hose in terms of how much I can do and how much I can master and and like how how just how productive I can be because I don't spend very much time forcing myself to do things, you know? Um, so that just taps into kind of my natural energy and it's very self-reinforcing, but I want to come back to the point you you made about the, because it, it seems sort of counterintuitive that making your bed would be related to counter to creativity. But one thing that I noticed, and I think it's really not acknowledged very much in the science of happiness, but I, but I think it's really, really true about human nature is that for most people. Outer order contributes to inner calm more than you would think. It does not seem like making your bed should affect like how much work you can do. And yet there's a relationship there that's disproportionate. And over and over people say to me, oh my gosh, I cleaned up my closet and I feel so much better. I cleaned up my garage and now I can quit my job. Or there's something about getting control of your stuff and feeling like you're, you know, everything that doesn't work, or that's not in the right place, or that you don't really need, or you really don't know what to do with it, you kind of figure that out and get rid of it. It seems to just give people this huge surge of good cheer and energy and, and the feeling of being able to tackle something big. And again, it's more than it seems like it should matter. I completely agree in a a happy life, a messy coat closet, or a crowded desk is trivial. And yet, it seems to matter more than it should. So I think if you if you want if you feel kind of paralyzed or blocked, just cleaning up <laughs> can make a big difference.
0: I agree. And I used to think that it was just my way of procrastinating where if mm-hmm. I was working from home and I'd be sitting on the couch and have some work in front of me, I'd be like, Oh, I'm gonna do the dishes real quick, clean up my counter space, that kind of thing. But I found that after doing that I you know, I felt better about myself and I felt I was able to actually focus on on the work as opposed to everything that was surrounding me. So I, I completely agree with that. Um, you had mentioned if there was something that you know wasn't fu- fulfilling your, I guess, creative desire to go ahead and try to drop it or whatever it may be. Do you think that people have to be creative within their jobs or do you think that you can separate work and life and actually be creative enough outside of your job and still be happy?
2: You know what I think it's hard whenever you try to kind of think of things separately like the work life balance or like I think it's I think it's easier just to think about what do you want to do and and making sure that you're making time for the things that you want to do You know, and maybe that time obviously isn't something that you could do at work. So then you're going to have to find time to do it in your free time. Or maybe it is something that could come into your work. But more focusing on, like, one of the things I realized is that I was always telling myself, I don't have time for that. Like, whether I was at work or whether I was not at work, um, I would be like, I don't have time for that. Like, I don't have time to read that link. I don't have time to chat with my friend. I don't have time to follow up that article that doesn't have anything to do with anything that I'm supposed to be working on. Like, I don't have time for that. And then I, I decided that I would change that. And now I tell myself, I have plenty of time for the things that are important to me. Because what I realized is a lot of times I would say, well, I don't have time for that. But what I really meant is, I don't want to do that or I don't care about that. That's not my priority or, you know, and, and, and when I say to myself, I have plenty of time for the things that are important to me, it sort of says, okay, well, it's up to me to decide what's important to me, because if it's important to me, I have time for it. And I think again, like when you're, if you, if you want to write a book, you know, if you want to learn how to water paint, if you want to learn how to use Photoshop, if you want to train your dog, if you want to plant a garden, if you want to, you know, figure out a new software program, Rather than trying to say like okay, how am I going to be you know it, it, just to say how am I going to fit this in like where where how is this going to be part of my day? Because I think the more that and also I think labeling things as creative can be off put can be intimidating for some people. Like either they feel like it's got to be of a high enough value. Like oh this isn't creative because it's not because it's kind of too stupid, or they feel like it has to be really good, or they you know they can feel. Um, intimidated, but somebody I know was saying that he never asked people, what's your passion? Because he felt like a lot of people were really made uncomfortable by that because they felt like, well, it's not really a passion. You know, that word suggested such a burning love um, that a lot of people just felt and then they feel like, oh, gosh, I'm so lame and uninteresting and boring and I have no inner resources. I have no passions. But they usually, once you start talking to people, you realize, well, they do have passions, but they just they don't, they're not calling them that. So I think sometimes it's just, it's instead of worrying about like, is this my creative side? Is this my work side? Um, you know, and also I think people set up false choices with happiness. Like I either need to quit my job and write that novel or I will be, you know, and, and risk financial disaster, or I need to be stuck in the same job for the rest of my life with financial security. It's like, really, those are the only two options. Cause like probably there's a lot of things in between. Or, you know, I can have a lot of, I can have a few real deep friends, or I can have a lot of really shallow, superficial friends. Well, that's not really the case, because there's all the different kinds of friendship. And it's not a question uh, like that. So I think when you're thinking about things like creativity and work and how to, how to, and how to think about those two things, it's, it's easy to fall into false choices, and it's also easy to sort of um, characterize things in a way that can be intimidating.
1: I had a question geared up and then as you go, I'm like, oh, that's a great point. So I just want to reiterate the thing you were saying about how when people say follow your passion, that can be that can be a big burden because that was something I struggled with for a while because I got to the point where I was like, I don't have a passion. There's nothing yeah. I could do every day. Like, I don't care what it is. I can't do it every day. But like you said, there are things you're interested in. And as long as you keep those involved in your life, I, I just really, really like that point. So I wanted to reiterate that for our listeners. Going back a little bit further, you said the phrase, you know, be Gretchen. And I think that in my personal experiences, you know, I took about a year off, moved to Scottsdale, didn't have an office job. The podcast, we started the podcast, I managed a band, I, you know, uh, created a business plan, just a bunch of things I wanted to do. And out of everything that's come out of it, the one thing I think was the most important was being more comfortable in my own choices and my own, you know, like you said, what you enjoy. And Mm -hmm. is that, do you think that was the biggest thing that came out of your happiness project was just being more comfortable with yourself and knowing yourself better as cliche as that might
2: sound? Exactly. Yes. A hundred percent. And it does sound like a cliche and it also sounds like, well, what could be more obvious than to know yourself? And yet it is so hard to know yourself. And it's so easy to be swayed by what you wish you were like or what other people think you ought to be like or um, what you just assume is true for you. If it's true for other people, it must be true for you. Um, the, the words know thyself are on the temple of Apollo at Delphi. This is the oldest advice about happiness, and yet it's so important. And the thing that's, that I realize is the more that I do follow that resolution to be Gretchen, the more what I do comes naturally and therefore I naturally do it better, um, which is gratifying. And I also find that other people's judgment doesn't matter as much, which is funny because you would think that a lot of the reasons that people aren't themselves is because they're worried what other people will think. Like other people will think it's childish or other people will think it's immature. or Other people will think it's irresponsible or other people will think it's not impressive. But what I find is, like, the more that I just do what I feel like doing, and I'm like, well, my justification is that's that's me, that's what I like, that's what I want. Um, the less I care about what other people think, because if you're doing something because you think other people approve, it's super important to you that they approve, because that's the reason you're doing it. And if you do what you want because that's what you want to do, it doesn't matter. And also, I found weirdly, people back off faster. It's like if you're like, well, okay, I'm just going about my business, doing my thing, whatever you think. People just are sort of like, okay, well, let your freak flag fly. That's you, whatever. I I don't know. It's funny. I guess there's less judgment because there's just sort of less purchase for it because – So I think it's, it's one of these things that I absolutely underestimated how, how important, like you say, it's like an organizing principle that pervaded everything that I did. I didn't really understand that almost until it was over. And I could look back and understand that it was at the core of so many things that I did. Um, And yet, and why is it so hard? Like, I have all the secrets of adulthood that are based on it, like, just because something is fun for other people doesn't mean that it's fun for you and this is something like so many people say to me like well of course skiing is fun drinking wine is fun shopping is fun puzzles are fun i don't enjoy any of those things they are not fun for me and people literally cannot understand like i had a big argument with somebody who was like he's like it is fun to drink wine i'm like it's fun for you it's not fun for me
1: yeah and he
2: just couldn't understand it nothing is inherently fun I just—I have a friend who loves the SAT. She's a grown-up, and she like takes all these practice SATs. She's got a whole website called Perfect Score Project. She's obsessed with the SAT for her. It's like play. She can't get enough of it. I am like, you know what? Because some things are fun for people, some people, and some things are not fun for some people. And it's like there's nothing inherent in what it is. And um, and so I think sometimes we we just assume like, well, I guess I'm just a person who who just isn't very fun loving. It's like yeah, because if you're not doing anything you really enjoy, it's not going to be that much fun, right? You know, it's like (laughs) if if all your friends go to ball games and you're not interested in sports, you're going to be like, oh gosh, I just I don't get any fun out of anything because what you'd really rather be doing is watching French films from the 1950s. Like, it's not going to make you happy to go to a baseball game.
0: Oh, I, I completely agree with that. And I was the the next question I had for you was, you know, what do you think the main obstacle for people being happy is? And it sounds like it's you know judgment or perceived judgment from others people you know you might be worried that people think that you're a dork for liking something or you're not cool or what you're doing is not actually fun where to you it should only matter that you think it's fun
2: Yeah, I just went through this with perfume, because I got really obsessed with the sense of smell, and if you get very obsessed with the sense of smell, you very quickly get led to the world of perfume, because that's where all the excitement in the world of smell is, is in perfume, so I got very interested in perfume, and a big part of me was like, I shouldn't be interested in perfume, because that makes me seem really materialistic, and I'm not. You know, I'm not one of these ladies that goes around to to perfume counters all the time, or then I thought, like, well, maybe it's kind of babyish, because I like solo floor perfumes, which are perfumes that smell like one flower, I'm like... Maybe I should like more complex perfumes. Maybe that's more sophisticated. Or I would say to myself, well, of course I like this perfume. Everybody says this is a great perfume. This perfume has five stars. This is a famous perfume. And I'd be like, yeah, but you know what? I don't really like that perfume. And so I realized that like all of my, my uh, pathologies were coming out around perfume. And I had to say to myself, be Gretchen. Embrace it. Let it be. Enjoy what you enjoy. Don't worry about what other people think or what you should think. Just what do you like, you know, and, 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 and I realize like, and now, and I'm obsessed with perfume, like to the point where I worry that I'm like boring everybody that I'm around because I want to talk about it all the time and everybody's getting totally into it. All the people that I'm around, like are all excited and like want to go and try it out. And it turns out when you're enthusiastic about something, other people can get into it. You know, it's exciting when somebody's really interested in something, you know, to a limit, you can't talk about it forever, but, and I realized nobody cares. Nobody cares about sophisticated interest in perfume. Nobody's judging me for the fact that, like, I want to go out and buy some perfume because I read about it. I mean, nobody cares. You know, the only person I would be limiting is myself because I would be preventing myself from having this exquisite enjoyment of something because I feel like, you know, I shouldn't. It's like, no, let it go. Do do you know? Just follow follow your instincts and. Um, and every time I do that, I like make new friends. I have new experiences. My whole life is enriched. Uh, and I say, gosh, you know, I keep learning this lesson over and over again. It's hard to be yourself. It's hard to know yourself. And yet that's, you can really, you can only build a happy life on the foundation of your own nature. And if other people think you're a, you know, uh, like a dork, who cares? I mean, you just, you kind of, and that's another one of my secrets of adulthood is that the admiration of the people that we respect is so sweet. But it is not enough to be the foundation of a happy life. The fact that your parents are excited that you're going to law school is not going to make it a good choice for you in the long term. Like it feels good. It feels good when the people around you are impressed or approve, or when they think it's cool. But in the end, it's like you're stuck with your own choices. And the closer they are to what really makes you happy, the happier you're going to be.
1: I I find it weird, you know, I'm always searching. I don't know if it's to be happier, but it's just to be more fulfilled. Like it's just this constant and I almost think of it as an annoyance because it's just always there and I'll talk to like my dad about it, you know, like I want to find the perfect job. And I'll talk to my dad about it and he'll say, "You know, when I was a kid, there wasn't no, there's was no such thing as a perfect job, just having a job." You know that kind of right. thing. So I came up with this theory that this ge- newer generation, say, you know, millennials or maybe one before that is kind of the first one that's really had to dive into happiness because we're kind of the first ones that can afford to. Like we can, we know we're not going to starve. Most of us, you know, you can go back to your parents' house if you need to, or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. So we have this extra time where we don't really have to worry about survival as much as what makes us happy. Have you ever thought about that or or Why you wondered so much, like, how to be happier?
2: Well, I haven't really thought about it in terms of the generations, but it is true that a lot of people say to me, like, oh, well, you know, it's this very American preoccupation, and, like, people just have too much time, and they watch too much television, and they sit around worrying about whether to be happy, Like it's a very indulgent thing, and I think it's just the opposite. I think, look, when like you say, when people, you know, even like we have had this economic downturn and there's a lot of unrest in the world, but basically, the Americans, it's an incredibly safe, prosperous place. I mean, look at history. We are so fortunate, and I just think when people have that prosperity and safety, it's natural for them to think of higher things. Exactly. What would you, what would you rather have them be worrying about than? Things like self-knowledge, self-expression, self-mastery—these to me is very appropriate uh, focus for people's attention. Because when you're not worried about like just having food the next day or whether where the rent check is going to come from, you know, urgently, um, then you can think about these these other values. And I think that's um, quite right. And not something to be, you know, and like one of the myths about happiness is that it's and, and something that I think really worries people is that it's selfish to want to be happier. You know, that, that either, you know, I'm so lucky, I have all the elements of a happy life, I must be spoiled brat if I want to be happier, or to think, well, in a world so full of suffering, it's not morally appropriate to want to be happier. And so people feel like it's very wrong to think about wanting to be happier. But the fact is, the, the research shows this, and I think your experience will show you the same thing happy people are more interested in social problems and more interested in the problems of the people around them. They give away more money. They volunteer more. They're more likely to do things like help out at work when a colleague is under a lot of stress. They have better relationships with their friends and their family. They have healthier habits. They're in better health. You know, when we're happy, we have the emotional reserves to turn outward and to think about other people and to think about the problems of the world. And when we're unhappy, we're more isolated and defensive and preoccupied with their own problems. Unhappy people think about themselves more. And they talk about themselves more than happy people do. So the idea that it's selfish to be, I mean, if it's selfish to want to be happy, then we should be selfish, if only for selfless reasons. Because really being happy yourself arms you to work towards the happiness of other people. And certainly the desire to be happy in your own work, like you say, to feel fulfilled in your work, you know, work is a huge part of life it's like you know how we spend this gigantic percentage of our time and it's certainly worthwhile to try to make that as happy a circumstance as it can be and probably i think for most people the happier work probably the more productive you know and creative and efficient and helpful you know they're going to be so i don't i don't think it's a waste of of energy or time to do that
0: Gretchen, first, I wanted to thank you so, so much for being on our podcast. You've been awesome to interview. It's been a great time. I know Chris thinks the same thing, but I wanted to see if you had any websites. I know you have the happinessproject.com and it's happiness-project.com, but if there's anywhere else that you wanted our Our listeners to go to your Facebook, Twitter page, or if you have other websites, go ahead and let them know about that.
2: I've got a very active Facebook page, which is just Gretchen Rubin, my page, uh, my author page. And then on Twitter, I'm at Gretchen Rubin, G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N-R-U-B-I-N. And then I also have a companion site called the Happiness Project Toolbox, which is just Happiness Project Toolbox written in in one big, gigantic word, um, where I have these eight tools that you can use if you want to have your own happiness project online. And then I also have a monthly newsletter. You can sign up through my blog. I have this, I love quotations, happiness quotations. So you can sign up to get a happiness quotation every morning in your email. If you want that, you can also get that through my blog or my Facebook page. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, if people want to learn more, or follow up more.
0: Great. Thank you so much. We really really appreciate it.
2: Oh, I so enjoyed talking to you. This was tons of fun.
0: Welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Gretchen. There is a lot of cool stuff that she talked about and you can actually find out a lot of this information on her website, which is happinessproject.com and it's happiness-project.com. You can read her blog on there, read her 12 personal commandments. She's got suggestions for things to think about each month on ways to be happy. She also has another website called the happinessprojecttoolbox.com, which is really cool. It helps you set resolutions, set up groups, check out different lists of what people are doing. It's really cool. Check it out happinessprojecttoolbox.com.
1: You're a happiness project toolbox, you're just a tool. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you guys probably enjoyed listening to Gretchen. As I mentioned, it was, it was great speaking with her. Also, um, and you know, on the subject of happiness, I'll just end it with this. Today at work, a guy came in. I said, you know, how are you doing today? And he goes, um, it's a good day. I said, yeah, why is that? He goes, because when I woke up, I looked down at the ground. And I love that quote because if you think about it, the alternative is looking up at the ground meaning you're dead, right? Am I right? Oh, I thought the guy might be in space or something. No, I looked down at the ground. And then, you know, whatever, and we started talking about it. But he was just, like, really happy, and it's just weird to come across people like that. So maybe try to take some of Gretchen's advice, you know, you utilize one of these tools, and if it just brings your happiness up a little bit, everybody's going to benefit from it, most likely yourself. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as Roach mentioned, Shoot us an email. Let us know who you'd like to hear from. And come on back next week
0: for another awesome interview. Yeah. Help me with my happiness project. I want to see a thousand followers on Twitter. Yeah. That'll make me happy. We'll go one at a time. So just Twitter a smart people pod. That's right. Every day.
1: All right, guys. See you later.
0: Take it easy.